Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas, out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Texas cotton production took a sharp drop this year. I am Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up. How to lengthen the life of their water supply is an issue more and more Texas Panhandle farmers are facing. I'm James Hunt and I'll bring you some thoughts from a leading expert as I report from Amarillo. Keeping children safe on farms and ranches during COVID-19. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas Wildlife News, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domo with news headlines. Texas upland cotton production fell 18% this year to 5.2 million bales. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, yields averaged about 648 pounds an acre. That's up 70 pounds an acre from 2019. 3.85 million acres of cotton were harvested in Texas. That's down 27% from last year. The Bear County Beef Cattle Short Course will be held online January 12th and 19th. The event is free and will be held on Microsoft Teams starting at 6 p.m. both days. It is open to anyone interested in beef cattle production in southern and central Texas. RSVP by January 5th to Chris at the Bear County Extension Office. For more, visit today.agrolife.org. Just a few months after the U.S. Department of Agriculture first suspended its Agriculture Labor Survey, USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service is reinstating the report due to a court ruling. According to AgriPulse, farm labor groups challenged USDA's decision to suspend the survey because it is used to set the minimum wage requirements for H-2A workers. The government argued the public can access other sources for similar information. U.S. District Judge Dale Droud of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California ruled that USDA had not considered the impact on farmworker wages when it canceled the report. NAS will mail questionnaires and collect data for the report immediately. That report is expected February 11th. It will include data for July and October of 2020. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Irrigation water is getting harder to come by on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. It's simply reality that the Ogallala is declining, and reports of irrigation wells running short or even completely dry are more and more common. So as we find ourselves in that time between fall harvest and spring planting, when it's customary for farmers to spend a little more time on strategic thinking, I asked Texas A&M AgriLife Irrigation Specialist Dana Porter, are there things producers can do to extend the lives of their wells if they're facing such capacity challenges? There are, and really a lot of times it's well maintenance, but just managing our water as efficiently as we can. Dr. Porter notes that many panhandle farmers are already using technology such as low-pressure center pivots or subsurface drip irrigation 
but something that can really help them manage their water more effectively is monitoring what they have in the way of soil moisture stored below the surface and also knowing how effectively their soil can retain that moisture. Soil moisture monitoring is a great tool for water monitoring with the soil sensors, but it's a lot better if I can understand the soil water holding capacity, if I understand a little bit about the physics of my soil. And it's not that hard. The math is not that hard. We can help you with that. Dr. Porter also says typically crops really don't use as much water in the early season, which can make it possible to reserve intensive irrigation for later stages of development. For corn, I want to make sure I have water available two weeks before to two weeks after tassel. That's when it's going to make the most difference. For cotton, it's going to be in the flowering, the blooming to bowl field stages. So if I can time that water when the crop is going to make the most use, that's going to help me a lot. Dana Porter also reminds us that the goal of holding moisture in place when rain does come can be served by such practices as leaving residue in the field, furrow diking, and soil health maintenance. She also recommends farmers shopping for seed look for those drought-tolerant varieties that are becoming more available these days. Just a few thoughts on an increasingly critical topic. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA's monthly supply and demand report released Thursday morning was very friendly for the cotton market, reflecting the very poor year that many cotton farmers have had here in Texas. This is a crop that just wasn't quite as good. That's a lot of the comments that we heard from producers along the way as we got into harvest. That's Lance Honing with USDA's Statistics Service. He says USDA lowered the yield forecast by 61 pounds an acre down to 850 pounds. That means we're now forecasting 15.9 million bales. That's down 6.7% from last month or 1.14 million bales from last month's forecast. That's one of the biggest November to December drops ever recorded for cotton. As a result, USDA lowered its ending stocks forecast and raised its average price forecast to 65 cents per pound. Here in Texas, cotton production now forecast at 5.2 million bales. That's 18% lower than last year. Yield is averaging 648 pounds per acre compared with 578 last year. Acreage harvested now stands at 3.85 million acres, down 27% from 2019. Of course, most of these numbers are a result of horrible drought conditions right here in Texas, where we grow nearly half of the nation's crop. Agriculture Department Deputy Economist Cindy Nickerson. In large case, this set of changes is due to there being fewer planted acres, but also abandonment is up due largely to drought conditions. Nickerson says most cotton states saw a drop in production this year, with two exceptions. Arkansas and Tennessee are expecting record high cotton production. Keeping kids safe on the farm is a year-round priority, but it's especially important during the COVID-19 pandemic. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today is Scott Heiberger. He is communications manager with the National Farm Medicine Center based in central Wisconsin. And uh, Scott, thanks for being with us today. As we talk about uh, safety on the farm and specifically uh, farm children's safety during the uh, coronavirus period. Uh, talk about what you folks are doing there to ensure the safety of uh, children on the farm during uh, the pandemic. Well, it really comes down to trying to work with parents. That's always been our key way of getting into child egg safety because the parents are the decision makers on farms. Um, also, to an extent, we work with supervisors and managers of farm kids and hired situations. And so we continue to work through parents. But of course, now that is very challenging because everybody listening knows what farm families have been going through as far as being spread thin. 
not having kids and activities or school to maybe give you some hours to do some of the more hazardous uh, jobs, potentially um, the whole issue of homeschooling, et cetera, just, just spread to the breaking point. So now we have to recognize that. We have to recognize the realities. We still um, uh, urge parents, you know, they're, they're still the, the really the best uh, insurance for safe kids. And so we continue to work with them. Some of the things we've done short term uh, include uh, pulling our resources together on our National Farm Medicine Center site and uh, put them on one page and resources as far as uh, ag youth work guidelines that helps parents go through and assign jobs to kids based on their on their developmental ability to make sure that the child is matched to the job because you know we've got kids home for planting and and harvest and you know that's never happened uh, in our lifetimes that they're home that many hours um, so if they are going to do some of these jobs then the ag youth work guidelines can can help assign those we stress the idea of, of creating a safe play area, a barrier of some sort to keep kids out of the, the very busy areas and out of the most uh, where the most hazardous work is being done, especially kids younger than six years old. There's just too many uh, incidents of being backed over, just not being seen. Of course, a kid three, four years old is going to run to the uh, the next shiny object and not going to have tunnel vision and not you know be aware of the hazards around them, most likely. So we work with them on that. Um, so it's just a number of things like that, short term. And then longer term, we just got refunded for another five-year cycle on our National Children's Center projects uh, through National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And there we've got some longer-term projects uh, looking at uh, childcare in rural areas, ATV operation, something called the Farm Kid Paradox, where we look at not only the hazardous things about growing up on a farm, but we try to quantify and get into some kind of data form the, the positive aspects of growing up on a farm, like uh, building a good work ethic and responsibility, things that we sort of feel to be true but to try to you know, put some data on there so that we can be better advocates for farm. Scott Heiberger of the National Farm Medicine Center on children's safety on America's ranches and farms. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Lower domestic cotton production and yield numbers have impacted the December supply and demand estimates for both our country and globally. Rod Bain reports from Washington. The lower production and yield estimate for U.S. cotton did impact the domestic balance sheet for December, including a tightening of ending stocks and a 1% per pound increase in the season-ending average price estimate. Yet World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski says the U.S. cotton production and yield reductions also impacted the global supply and demand ledger as well. Global production we tightened up this month by 2.2 million bales. So between tighter production, tighter supplies, and strong consumption, we increased our consumption estimate. Ending stocks are also tightening up this month. We revised our global ending stocks forecast down by about 3.9 million bales. Also contributing to the tighter world cotton supplies. The rest of the reduced production on the global side is largely accounted for lower forecast production in both India and Pakistan. Both very big, important producers globally. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Duck hunting season is now open. What can hunters expect this year? I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have the answer coming up on Texas Ag Today. The number of cases of feline leukemia and immunodeficiency virus can be decreased by testing. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a close look at that coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The number of cases of feline leukemia and immunodeficiency virus can be decreased by testing for them. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Feline leukemia and feline AIDS virus, which is correctly called feline immunodeficiency virus, or FIV, are common in certain cat populations. The American Association of Feline Practitioners recently updated their recommendations on testing and management of these viruses. Although vaccines are available for feline leukemia in the United States and even FIV in some other countries, identification of infected cats remains an important factor. The feline leukemia and FIV status should be known on every cat, and if you have cats that never go outdoors and no cats go in and out of your home, then one-time testing should be sufficient. However, if you have cats that go outside, annual testing is a good idea. With annual testing, you can find infected cats and isolate them from your other non-infected cats to prevent transmission. It is a good idea to test cats before vaccinating them, and many cats with FIV can live long lives and never become sick due to the disease. Any sick cat should be tested for these diseases, and one of the most common effects of these viruses is to make the cats more susceptible to other infections. A negative result is likely to indicate the cat is not infected, whereas a positive result should always be confirmed with another test. A new test called a PCR test is available that detects a different portion of the virus than the regular test. This test can not only confirm infection with feline leukemia, but can also determine the type of feline leukemia infection that is present and help your vet give you a prognosis about future illness and transmission of the virus to other cats. So if you have a cat, testing for feline leukemia and FIV is important. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Duck season is finally here. So what kind of season can duck hunters expect here in Texas this year? Jessica Domel has the answer in today's wildlife report. Duck hunting season is now open across Texas. Kevin Cry, waterfowl program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, tells us drought is impacting hunting prospects in some areas. In the high plains of the Panhandle, it's very, very dry. We basically have almost no water available to them on the landscape. Ducks really haven't adapted to move into those urban environments like these geese have. And so there's just really not a lot of duck hunting opportunity right now in the high plains. It's definitely below normal. As you go south and east, conditions are quite a bit better. There's been some good rainfall throughout the rolling plains. Oaks and prairies, that landscape is dotted by nearly a million small ponds that those ducks spread out on, and they're pretty much full right now, those ponds. And so the birds are really starting to show up in those locations. Again, being that warm, you know, winter period that we've had thus far, we had a really good push early in the fall, early October, and it's really kind of leveled out since then. And so we got a bunch of ducks north of us still. And so that's kind of good news in that respect, because as cold fronts come, we'll get continue to get a good push and supply birds coming from further north. As you go down to the Gulf Coast, those people that have good fresh water right now have had very, very good success in their first part of the season. It has been quite dry down there. A lot of the marshes have gotten a little more salty and conditions 
are tough sometimes in the, that marsh environment when the salinity start to increase. Those that have good fresh water, a lot of individuals in that landscape spend a lot of time, money, and energy uh, putting water on that landscape, pumping it up and things from the aquifer for waterfowl management. Those guys are having, for the most part, what we're hearing and, and some of the data we're collecting is uh, record seasons. That was Kevin Cry with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We saw mixed trade in the cattle market all day long on Monday, but the volatility in the wheat market continues. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Monday was a mixed day for the cattle futures market. We saw contracts trade on both sides of unchanged throughout the day. We ended up closing mixed with December live cattle up 35, 109.10. The February down 15, 113.10. April live cattle unchanged at 117.37. January feeder cattle up 30, 140.02. March feeders up 5 at 140.60. April feeder cattle down 5 cents, 141.85. Cash fed cattle market at a standstill as we usually see on a Monday. No asking prices or bids reported. Texas Cattle Feeders Association reporting 5,711 head of live cattle cash sales. Most of those cattle selling at 108, a few heifers at 107. Formula cattle 50,459 head for the week last week. No boxed beef prices reported. Technical issues from USDA preventing that report from being released on Monday. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. First, we go to the Panhandle. Tulia Livestock Auction, Tulia, Texas, sold 2,221 head last week. Steer and heifer calves, $1 to $5 higher. Yearling steers and heifers were steady to $4 higher. Medium and large frame number one feeder steers weighing 3 to 400 pounds, just a few selling in a tight range of 190 to 201. Four to five weight steers brought $1.44 to $1.76. Five to 600 pounders, $1.46 to $1.60 a pound. Six to seven weight steers, $1.29 to $1.43. Seven to eight hundred pound steers, a dollar nineteen to a dollar thirty-five, and the eight to nine hundred pounders, a dollar nineteen to a dollar thirty a pound. Slaughter cows range from forty-two to fifty-four cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-five to seventy-four. Now let's go down to South Texas, Beeville Livestock Commission, Beeville, Texas, six hundred head sold, two to three weight steers, ninety-four to a dollar sixty a pound. Three to four weights at ninety six to a dollar fifty one. Four to five hundred pounders eighty eight to a dollar sixty one. 
Five to six hundred pound steers, eighty-three to a dollar fifty. Six to seven weights, eighty-seven to a dollar twenty-six. With seven to eight weight steers bringing eighty cents to a dollar eighteen a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty-nine to sixty-three cents. Slaughter bulls, fifty-six to ninety-six. Stocker cows brought five ninety to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs, eight fifty to eleven hundred a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed higher. December up 22 cents, 64.90. February hogs up 2.45, closing at 65.67. Class 3 milk was mixed. December up 8 cents, 15.87. January milk down 9 at 16.13 a hundredweight. The cotton market continues to climb. Follow through buying in the market. Traders seem to be impressed with last week's USDA reports on Thursday. They came out with a weekly export sales report. Sales were in excess of 400,000 bales. Also on Thursday, we had the monthly supply and demand report where they slashed 2020 production by a million bales. So we continue to get support from both of those USDA reports. The March contract up 59 points. Closing at 74.67, May cotton up 62, 75.51, December 21 cotton up 53 points, 72.90. We continue to see big volatility in the wheat market. Ever since Thanksgiving week, we've seen these big swings in the market. We did have some news out showing that Russia is planning to tax wheat exports at $30 per metric ton. Now, normally, that would be a bullish move because it would keep some wheat off the world market. However, that doesn't go into effect until February 15th. So that gives Russian exporters plenty of time to move that wheat onto the world market ahead of that tax. That pressured prices in both hard and soft wheat. July Kansas City wheat down 16 and a quarter, closing at 568 and a half. July Chicago wheat dropped 13 cents closing at 594 and a half. The corn market lower, the December contract down a nickel 419 and a quarter. New crop September corn down 3 quarters 413 and a quarter. In the energy markets, January natural gas up 8 cents 267, January crude oil up 39 46 96 a barrel. The financial markets mixed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 122 points 29923 the Nasdaq up 89 at 12,467. The S&P 500 down 9, 3,653. That wraps up our markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.